Hello everyone, welcome to the Steve Hilton Show. Any of you who saw me the other week talking on Fox or elsewhere on this show about the first Republican primary debate will know, you'll remember, that I had very strong views about one aspect of it in particular, the fact that you had total time wasters um, on stage. You have absolutely no chance of winning uh, the primary and, and getting anywhere in the contest at all. And also who have nothing to contribute, no interesting ideas, nothing distinctive to say, total waste of space. I'm talking about you, Asa Hutchinson, um, was on the stage, whereas someone who we all know very well, those of you who are regulars, um, regular listeners on this show and on my Fox show know very well, someone who has a lot to contribute, very important arguments about the future of the country, what's gone wrong and how we can put it right, who kept off the stage for totally bogus reasons, as far as I can tell. That's Larry Elder. So as soon as that happened, I wanted to find out what's going on, why that happened. Is there anything we can do about it? What does the future hold for presidential candidate Larry Elder? And so he joins us now. So, Larry, this, this first debate was like it's nearly two weeks ago now, and I'm still feeling the absolute outrage that you weren't on that stage. I said so that night when I was commenting on the debate. I particularly made the point that it was outrageous that you have someone like Asa Hutchinson, who has basically nothing to contribute, a total waste of space being on the stage, and you with your incredibly powerful arguments that we've discussed here many times before, and I hope you'll uh, lay them out again today a really important contribution to the conversation, and you were not on that stage. Outrageous. I just wanted to have you on the show to explain what happened, what we can do next, and to make your case. Well, Steve, thank you for that. Not not only uh, was the person that you just now mentioned on that stage, but one of them gave a $20 gift certificate for a $1 donation. That apparently yes. was okay. Another one gave a commission uh, for people to get donors, uh, and then those donors got commissioned to get other donors. I did it the old-fashioned way. I asked people to go to my website, maryoda.com, uh, and support me, and apparently that wasn't good enough. I met their criteria. They required 40,000 individual uh, donors. We did that. They required 200 of them to be from 20 different states. We had uh, 200 from 37 different states, and they required me to submit three different polls where I was at least 1% or more uh, in the ratings. Uh, we did that. Then I get a phone call at the last minute from Ronna McDaniel, and she said, one of the polls that you submitted, Rasmussen, you can't use it because it, quote, is affiliated with the Trump campaign, close quote. I said, well, assuming it is, why is it my problem? And she said, well, any poll affiliated with any candidate can't be used by any other candidate. Now, keep in mind, this is the same Rasmussen poll that the RNC uses all the time, the same poll that was probably one of the most accurate ones in 2016, predicting that Donald Trump was going to win. And they also put out a statement after all this happened saying that Donald Trump had nothing to do with our poll, he's not affiliated with us, and there's no reason, they said, why Larry Ola can't use our poll It's one of the three that he needs to submit. Then we submitted a fourth one, although it was after their deadline, but that one had their polling finished before the deadline. So as far as I'm concerned, it complied with the spirit yeah. of the law, uh, of the rule. It's not the letter of the rule. They certainly could have allowed me to be on the stage had they wanted to. Not only was I not allowed to be on the stage, Steve, they put a sign at security saying that if Elder or his campaign team shows up, don't let him in the building. So now I'm on the RNC terror watch list. 
I just so out everything about it is so outrageous. Let's look at the polling thing though. I mean, I just want to you know go through it so people can understand. You've got a lot of supporters, I know, in amongst our audience, and and I got a really strong reaction, positive reaction when I spoke out about this on Fox News and elsewhere on the night and in the subsequent days. People are behind you on this. So on this Rasmussen Rasmussen poll question, um, they didn't say in advance that but Rasmussen was. <laughs> not allowed right this was Correct. after the event not only did they not say in advance my understanding is rasmussen contacted them before they started their polling to make sure that they met their polling criteria so it could be right. used and nobody said to them oh by the way thank you for calling uh, we're not going to allow you to use your poll because you're affiliated with trump they didn't say a word to them so they were gobsmacked by this as much as i was and now for the next debate which is on the 27th of this month uh in california at the ronald reagan library I've got to get 3% in three different polls and 50,000 individual donors. As for the latter, I don't think we're going to have a problem with that, given yeah. how many people have already signed up. Uh, but as for the fir first, we we're starting a massive ad buy uh, on conservative outlets in order to get my popularity up to 3%. Uh, well, and think... that's the goal right now. I mean, your popularity is that, you know, you got, I mean, this is what I, I you got more, you on that stage got more actual votes from real people. I'm thinking yeah. back to the California right. um, recall that you ran in than most of the other people on the stage, like real votes in the real yeah, world, never mind polls. Three, three and a half million votes. Uh, California has 58 counties on the replacement side. It was a two tiered thing. The first part is, do you want Gavin Newsom uh, recall? If the answer is yes, whoever got the most votes on the replacement side, and there were 46 candidates, counting myself, would have become governor. I got 3.5 million votes. 49% of all replacement votes were, were for me. The next highest person got 9%, and that wasn't even a Republican. That was a Democrat. Uh, we carried 57 of 58 counties in California. The only one I lost was San Francisco, and I lost that by 149 votes. 150,000 individual donors, 75,000 came from outside of California. And in eight weeks, we raised $27 million, more than the other 45 replacement candidates combined. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is why I, I just, it's inexplicable. And I, and I do want to spend a bit of time on the process. And then I want to hear what you, you know, what you can do. I mean, on the, did she, it was Monday, wasn't it? When you, the debate was Tuesday. Am I remembering it correctly? And they was told Wednesday. You the, it was uh, Wednesday. And, and we had to turn in everything 48 hours ahead of time, which mm -hmm. we did. And then I get a phone call from Ronald McDaniel. And from Dave Bossy, the debate czar, telling me that the Rasmussen poll uh, can't be used. And when was that? Was that the day, Monday or Tuesday? The day before or Tuesday? Oh, that was on Monday. It was literally hours after we turned in everything. That so I got how the you, what are you supposed to do at that point? I mean, it's really outrageous. Well, had I known that one of the polls was not going to be accepted, I would have tried to, to find a, a, a fourth one. But the fourth one didn't come out until after their deadline. Yeah. Uh, but their polling concluded before the deadline. That's why I say... As far as I'm concerned, even though I turned it in, quote unquote, late, close quote, their polling yes. had concluded before the deadline. So if they really wanted me there, they could have said, you know, Larry, there's no reason why you can't get up there, even though arguably, technically, you turned it in late. They finished the polling uh, in, in, in time. You had no idea what the results were until until it was late. Yeah. And we've, we, we rejected a poll that we didn't tell you we were going to reject. So they could have easily, in my opinion, had me up there. Why do you think they did this? Mm -hmm. I think there are two things. I think, first of all, I believe that, they, that they've convinced themselves that Ron DeSantis is a guy that's more capable of, of beating uh, Joe Biden than Donald Trump. I think they're wrong about that. But the other thing, Steve, I think is that I think I make them feel uncomfortable, particularly how blunt I am on certain issues having to do with race. For example, recently in Jacksonville, 
Uh, as you know, a white racist guy murdered three uh, black people. And Joe Biden, of course, made a statement, made a statement about that because it's consistent with his narrative that the number one threat to the homeland is white supremacy. That's what he said at a commencement address a few weeks ago at Howard University. And I pointed out that about two or three months ago, a black man walked up behind a white guy in Tulsa, Oklahoma, pulled out a gun, shot him in the back of the head, killed him execution style, went to another part of Tulsa, Oklahoma, found another white guy, walked up to him, shot him in the back of the head, killed him execution style, and admitted he did it because they were white. Biden didn't say a damn thing about that because it does not fit the narrative. Mm. I also pointed out on my Twitter feed that while most homicide is same race homicide, every year there are around 750 black, white, or white, black homicides. 500 whites are killed by blacks, even though blacks are just 13% of the population. 250 blacks are killed by whites, even though whites are 60% of the population. That's homicide. Non-homicide violent crime, I'm talking about attempted uh, murder, rape, assault with a weapon. Every year there are about 500,000 black, white, white, black instances like that. 85 to 90% is a black perp uh, and a white victim, only 10 or 15% the other way around. This does not fit the narrative. Uh, the fact is that black people are not being mowed down by white supremacists. This is what Joe Biden pushes because he wants black people to be angry and go in there like lemmings and pull that lever 90% for the uh, for the Democratic Party. When I say stuff like this, I think it makes Republican Party feel very uncomfortable. Nothing scares a white Republican more than a left-wing person accusing him or her of racism. But it's, it's crazy because it's actually the, the future of the Republican Party, um, as I've argued for years. Um, is to be, and this is what, what, you know, Trump sort of opened the door to this, really, um, is uh, uh, I, the phrase I always use, and you've used similar language, a multiracial working right. class coalition. And here in California, actually, that's, you know, Latinos are obviously the biggest ethnic group, but right. across the country, this should be a massive opportunity. And the arguments you're making, which is to say, for years, decades, longer, the Democratic Party has said to the um, black people of America, you know, that they're out to get you and we're the only ones that will lift you up and protect your interests. It's exactly the opposite. Everywhere the Democrats are in charge, black people do worse. I also think, Steve, I make them feel uncomfortable when I talk about the number one domestic issue in America, uh, which is the epidemic of fatherlessness. 70% yeah. of black kids now enter the world without a father in the home, married to the mother, up from 25% back in 1965. Now 25% of white kids enter the world without a father in the home, married to the mother. And the stats are clear. When you're raised without a dad, you're five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. Uh, if you're a white person and you say that, you're going to be accused of engaging in systemic racism. If you're black and you say it, you're going to be accused of, as I was, being the black face of white supremacy or called an Uncle Tom. And I think it makes the Republicans feel uncomfortable, even though it's a conversation we ought to be having. Yeah, and, and they, but they should. It's an opportunity. It's a political opportunity. It's so infuriating. Right. I mean, I'm, and by the way, it's not even there's the idea. This is some kind of heresy and right wing sort of propaganda. I mean, I wrote a piece um, for the Daily Mail, the newspaper in the UK, not long ago. They asked me they every now and again asked me to write about American stuff. And um, they, they asked me to write in, in, you know, to commemorate the 60th anniversary of MLK Jr.'s um, I Have a Dream speech. And, you know, I made many, many of these arguments. And, and I quoted from uh, Barack Obama made this point when it was still OK on the left to sort of to tell the yeah. truth about some of this stuff. There's an ama amazing quote from him, which is not that different from what you just said. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe before he's even president, but it's not even controversial. It, it shouldn't be and to normal people. 
you know, it, it, this whole use of race to divide America, which is what the Democrats and the media, academic, academic, academia had been doing for a long time. Uh, in 1966, Martin Luther King gave a, a talk to British television. And this is two years after the Civil Rights Act of 64 was passed. And he said, progress has been so fast, I, I, I'm amazed why in about 40 years time, we could have a black president. Do the math, almost exactly 2008, right. Barack Obama got elected. He didn't say in 40 years time, there'll be a black uh, female president of Harvard, and there is. He didn't say in 40 years time, the three biggest cities in America, LA, Chicago, New York, will have black mayors, and they do. He didn't say in 40 years time, arguably the biggest TV personality, uh, a black female, Oprah Winfrey will become a multi-billionaire. He didn't say arguably uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, male personalities on, on television, Bill Cosby would be known as America's dad. Uh, he didn't say that there's going to be a governor of one of the uh, uh, states of the Confederacy, Virginia, and there was, who's black. He said president, meaning at that point, to the fullest extent that it's practical, America is now a country that's evaluating people based on content of character, not color of skin. And now we're acting like Stephen never even happened. Yeah. You know, America's the only, only majority white country in the world that's elected a black president. And now it's like it never even happened. We're having conversations yeah. about things like reparations. Are you kidding me? Well, this is the, the point. I mean, you're just demonstrating just in the whatever, you know, 10 minutes or so we've been talking why you should have been on that stage. I mean, no one else made those arguments. I mean, to be fair, you know, just in the Vivek Ramaswamy did touch on the family point, but not in, in as, as, as clear a way as you just have and not in the wider context. Man. No one else made any of these arguments. They're incredibly what? important because actually the race argument, as you say, is central to the narrative and propaganda of the left these days. Well, in the case of, of Levesque, it's interesting that he mentioned, quote, the epidemic of fatherlessness. Uh, I've been on the same uh, podium with him many times in Iowa, New Hampshire. I've heard his stump speech over and over again. He's never once mentioned it. And, <laughs> uh, and when uh, it was, in his opinion, uh, uh, likely that I was not going to make the debate, he pulled me to the side at one of our events and said, Larry, if you don't make the debate, will, will you support me? And I said, Vivek, I can't promise that. But I can promise you this, I'll consider it if I don't make the debate. You, you say the number one domestic problem in America is the epidemic of fatherlessness. And my good friend Larry Yoda has been pushing this issue for years. It's about time we all talk about that. He mentioned part of it, but he left out the Larry Yoda I, part. I, he yeah. did. But, but, right. but Steve, the main, the main thing is that we talk about this rather than uh, yes, yes, credit. Yes. I don't want to act like I'm churlish about this. Uh, the other thing nobody talked about is the spending. We need an amendment to the Constitution to fix spending to a certain percentage of the GDP. Otherwise, government gets bigger and bigger and bigger, whether a Republican president or a Democrat president, largely because of the so-called entitlements that are, quote, unsustainable. That's the word that both Barack Obama and Bill Clinton used to describe them, but nothing gets done because if you run promising to reform them, you will lose an election because the other side will accuse you of not caring about the poor, the sick, the elderly. The only way to really rein in spending is with a law that forces politicians to make the kind of cuts and reforms that are necessary. No one talked about yeah. that either. Exactly. And I remember the first time I heard that, actually, it was from you because no one else is saying that. And I remember yeah. it was at that event that I went to in Los Angeles. It was I don't know, right. a few months ago. And mm -hmm. I remember at the time thinking this is so smart because it was in the context of a conversation right then that at that point, the debate was about, you know, <laughs> cuts to whether you, Social Security and Medicare should be off the table for Republicans. Yes or no. Right. Trump on right. one side, others on the other side. And you said, look, it's, it's complete BS. <laughs> The politicians, you know, this argument is impossible to win because you're going to get if you if you promise cuts, then the other side accuse you of killing granny or whatever. 
The right. only way mm -hmm. to actually solve the problem is to with the proposal you just laid out. And I remember thinking that is so wise and smart and honest and not pandering. And another reason why you should be part of this presidential conversation. What is the, what happens? I mean, you there was talk of legal action. Is that still a thing yes. with this? Well, I have my, my lawyer is the former chair of the Federal Elections Commission. And he argues that by failing to apply your debate criteria fairly to, uh, to Elder, essentially you gave an in-kind political contribution to the eight people who made it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that could subject them to an FEC fine of up to $100 million. So I gave them on the debate day until two o'clock to change their mind, put me mm -hmm. up there on the debate stage. Otherwise, we're going to file that complaint. Well, the deadline came and went. We have since filed the complaint. The problem is it's going to take years to uh, sort yeah. all that out. In the meantime, rather than wallow in my sorrow, my goal is to get to that 3% uh, and 50,000 individual donors to make sure that I'm on that debate stage uh, on September 27th at the Ronald Reagan Library. And Steve, if I do, it'll be the biggest comeback since George Foreman. I'm also asking people to take a look at my book uh, called As Goes California, My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation. So it's about the one-party state, California. The Democrats have run it for decades and run it into the ground to the point now where our schools are near the bottom, people are leaving, crime, homelessness, uh, and the average price of a home is 175% above the national average because of the marriage between the Democrats and the environmental extremists. So coming to a theater near you, if you don't uh, recognize what's going on in California, the book doesn't come out until November. You can get it online at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Very good. Very important. I mean, that's an, I mean, we'll, you, certainly you'll come back and talk about that, I'm sure, because it's a very important argument for everyone to be aware of. In terms of the debate, I mean, it just feels like I feel so kind of powerless. I mean, can't something like this be resolved? I mean, I, I understand why it would normally take years to go through mm -hmm. the legal process, but there's an urgency here. I mean, can they be forced to, you know, retrospectively, you know, admit that yeah. they, were, they were wrong and put you in the second that, that, one anyway or something like that? I mean, I, I feel so enraged by yeah. this. Yeah, you, you, would, you would hope they, they could do that, but, but they're not going to. Uh, and, uh, you know, generally speaking, when the FEC files a uh, levies a fine, it's because of something that happened years ago. It just takes a very long period of time. That's mm -hmm. why it takes makes much more sense for me to use my energy, to talk to people like you, mm -hmm. uh, give interviews, uh, and then we're having a massive ad buy starting, mm -hmm. I think it's tomorrow, mm -hmm. uh, on conservative media to get my numbers up so I can qualify very for good. that. Very So on that point, um, on the po I mean, here's another thing I've, I've been saying. I mean, it's just so frustrating, this whole polling thing, which is... Um, when you see polls, they always, nearly always say, I'm sure whether it's the exact number, but almost always you hear margin of error, right? And they say plus or three right. percent margin of error. So like, what is right. this like so precise about one percent, three percent? It's all crap anyway, because it's all right. margin of error in the end. Well, not only that, several of the, of the national polls didn't even mention my name. It wasn't that they mentioned my name and Elder got zero. It's they didn't mention Elder's name. So how am I supposed to get 1% or 2% or 3% when you don't even mention my name? Uh, that's one big problem. But the other thing that you're pointing to is why do we have the debate criteria in the first place? And it's to make sure that just because you fog up a mirror and you can pontificate over the barbecue, you can't demand to be on a debate stage. But when you run for office, when you've got 3.5 million votes, when you ran for the highest office in the biggest state of the union, California, it seems to me you've got some built-in credibility there. And that's why they should have erred on the side of allowing me to debate when I submitted that fourth one and when they rejected that third one, not having told me that Rasmussen was not yeah. accepted. And also, yeah. the, I mean, to be fair, I do think that the debate, the, sorry, the um, 
donor thing is is not a bad proxy of support because that's actual well, money. You know, real people giving you actual money. That's like a real commitment. And as right. you say, you did it just because people actually support you, whereas all these other people did it through gaming the system. Well, that's right. I didn't complain that that there that there were debate criteria. You got to have benchmarks. But again, when you have somebody giving a, a country western concert that's free, air quotes for one dollar. When you have somebody giving you commissions to get donors, when you have somebody giving out a $20 gift, gift card for $1, it seems to me it undermines the entire uh, credibility of the whole thing. And it makes it corrupt. It's not illegal, I would think. Yes. And then, <laughs> and, and I'm just repeating myself now, but then, you know, also the, these people that manage to get there through whatever means, don't say anything interesting. I mean, you might as well not be there. I mean, they don't make any contribution. I mean, you know, Asa, I keep coming back to Asa Hutchinson because that's the most egregious, seems to me, because he literally, like, okay, fine, he's anti-Trump and he's an establishment kind of guy. Like, he didn't say anything that, you know, I don't know, someone like Nikki Haley doesn't right. say, and frankly, she says it much better. I mean, what is the point of Asa Hutchinson being in this race? It's, it's a joke. And one of them, Chris Christie, referred to Donald Trump as an insurrectionist. I mean, honestly... Uh, what Donald Trump did on January the 6th was to make the same argument that Democrats did when they lost in 2000, when they tried not to recognize Florida, the same argument that they made when they lost in 2004, when they tried not to recognize Ohio, the same argument they made when they lost in 2016, when they rejected more states, when they attempted to reject more states than Donald Trump did after the 2020 election. But nobody accused them of uh, being election deniers. Uh, no one called them insurrectionists. Uh, we thought they had a First Amendment right to complain that they lost the election. And I'll tell you the damage this has done. Hillary ran around for four years referring to Trump as having stolen the election, called him illegitimate, mm -hmm. to the point where 66% of Democrats believe that the Russians, quote, changed vote tallies, close quote, according to a YouGov poll to elect Donald Trump in 2016. Jay Johnson, Obama's DHS secretary, testified under oath that while the Russians tried, they failed to change a single vote tally, not one, yet two-thirds of Democrats believe that they did in order to elect Donald Trump. In other words, a greater percentage of Democrats believe 2016 was stolen than we feel that way about 2020. But nobody calls them election deniers, let alone a lawyer possibly losing his law license for making the same argument that Democrats made in 2000, 2004, and 2016. I'm referring to John Eastman. He's a friend of mine uh, who now is under investigation by the California Bar for making these kinds of arguments and may, I repeat, may lose his law license. Lawyers make arguments. Sometimes the arguments prevail, sometimes they don't, but for crying out loud, that's yeah. your job as a lawyer, and now you're running the risk of losing your ability to make a living? It's incredible. I mean, it, it, well, it's, I mean, the, the things that have been done in the name of this, you know, Trump derangement are just, you know, constantly, right. you know, I mean, they endlessly go on about norms. You remember that? Break, he's breaking all the norms. That's what they're doing <laughs> all the time um, in pursuit of their vendetta. I mean, it is just, it is just, uh, crazy as you say so i don't know what else to say to you i just i just want to sort of physically pick you up not that i could but physically pick <laughs> you up and put you on that stage next time it just feels so maddening so three percent well we got to you know are these do they have to be national part i mean what do you think well, is it going to work well well three three i need three percent in three national polls or three percent in two national polls and three percent in two of the polls from the early states mm -hmm. and that's Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. So if I get two national polls, 3% or better, and one in Iowa showing me above 3%, and one in Nevada showing me above 3%, I've met their criteria. All I can say is, I don't know how you just vote for Larry if someone asks you in a poll. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah.
and go to my website, LarryEller.com, exactly. and put something in the jar because now I've incurred an unexpected legal expense I didn't think I was going to have. Uh, plus, again, we want to make a massive ad buy to get my numbers up. Exactly. I think I slightly spoke over you on that. So let's make sure you say it again very clearly where people okay. can go and support you. LarryElder.com, LarryElder.com, because I've incurred an unexpected legal expense and I want to raise enough money to, to continue this uh, massive media buy to make sure my numbers go up. And of course, my book is called As Goes California, My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation. As you can Fantastic. see, Steve, my, goal, my goals are modest. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think I share some of them. All right. So listen, you're the best. Thank you so much. Uh, we are willing you on. I know everyone who's watching and listening will be the same. Hope to see you on the debate stage, but you've got a lot to contribute regardless. Larry, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
All right, hope you enjoyed the show. For more great conversations like that, make sure you follow us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. Tell your friends all about the show. Join the movement. Go to goldentogether.com and help us save California. And we'll see you back here soon for the next episode of The Steve Hilton Show.